Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the city of Lagos and beyond renewed by the gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Good morning, church. I have the privilege of bringing you the word for today. You have the privilege of listening. When I'm done reading, I will end with, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. The scripture for today, Matthew chapter 6, from verses 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for teaching us how to pray. Thank you, Lord, that you've not left us alone. Thank you, Lord, that you desire that we talk with you. You desire that we fellowship with you. Thank you, Lord, that you've not just reached out to come to earth to save us. You reached out so that we can be with you. As 1 Peter 3 verse 18 says, the reason why the just one was sacrificed for the unjust was so that he can bring us So, Lord, we ask that you will tabernacle here this morning. And we ask, oh God, that your people will see you. Open our eyes, oh God, in a fresh way. Lord, lift us up, oh God, to a place where we can see that which is beautiful. We can see the day spring from on high. Rend, oh God, the heavens. Let our spirits, oh God, ascend before you. Lord God Almighty, we refuse to live here, O God, unchanged. We refuse, O God, to live here in a way that we came. O God, we've come to meet with you. We've come to commune with you. We've come, O God, to see you. We've come, Lord God Almighty, that we may dwell in your heavens. Father, visit us, O God, in the name of Jesus. We want to have an encounter, O God, this morning. Lord God Almighty, we don't just want to hear your word. We want to experience your word. We don't just want to, oh God, hear you speak. We want to speak back to you. Enlighten, oh God, our minds, oh God, but reinvigorate our hearts. As we enter, oh God, into the place that is holy. As we enter, oh God, to the holy of holies. Be with us, oh God. As we pray. As we pray. As we pray. God said to Moses, take off your shoes because the ground that you stand upon is holy. Dear friends, brothers and sisters, I want you to just contemplate right now. Contemplate that where the Lord is, is holy. You are standing on holy ground. You are standing on holy ground before the one who is above all things. Speak to him. Speak to him. We don't even have to wait for the teaching. Speak to him. Speak to him for this is what you were created for. Open your eyes. Open your heart. Open your mouth. As was just sang to us, holy is the Lord before our eyes. Our burdened heart can scarcely take it in. Speak to him. He is beautiful beyond description. He is magnificent. 
beyond our words. Description. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you. But we know, God, that we will be with you today. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to City Church. If it's your first time, and for those watching, we're so happy to have you. And you've come at a very important time as we're starting a new series, and I cannot think of more, anything more important than this. I can't think of anything more important than for us to pray. For this reason, we are created because you know what? Humans cannot but pray. We can't help but pray. If you think about it just from a Christian standpoint, historically, the truth is this. As much as we love the Bible, people were praying before we had any Bible. And now that we have the Bible, people still spend a longer time praying than they spend studying the Bible. Some of us may not want to admit it, but it's true. Why? Because we can't help but pray. Now somebody will say, well, you know that we Africans, we are very, very religious. Because when you think about our own in Nigeria, we've been, we've had movements historically and even contemporarily. If you think to the early 1900s, we had the people called the Aladuras, the praying people. It was a movement that was in response to the Spanish flu that was wreaking havoc all over the world. We couldn't get medical help the way the Western world was getting. And they even had it in little forms. But there were people who said, even though there was no medicine, we had the God that created medicine. They prayed. And he responded. And people started following them. They said, those people pray and they get results. Allah does, And they are still here with us today. We cannot help but pray. And even today, with all our scientific and technological advancement, in fact, we have taken the science and the technology to continue to show that we can't help but pray. Look at the online prayer movements that gather people every single day to pray for one hour. And you're wondering, why are these people, knowledgeable people, educated people coming together? The truth is that there is an impetus in us that we just have to connect with the divine. We can't help but pray. As I said, somebody will say, well, that's Africans. Maybe some South Americans. Reminds me of a lady called Jeanette Sindig Benson. She's a, an associate professor of economics at the University of Copenhagen. She actually came across something remarkable during the pandemic. As she was carrying out the study, listen to what she said, or what she discovered. She discovered that the share of Google searches for the word prayer surged to the highest level ever recorded after the announcement of the COVID pandemic. As I would say, I heard now, because Africans were actually searching. And it's true, we were searching. Nigerians really pushed it forward. Colombians and Cameroonians, it's true. But listen to her words as she said this. She says, quote, when WHO declared the COVID-19 a pandemic, such shares for prayer rose around mid-March, that's 2020, for most regions in Africa, yes, but listen, even for the most secular regions of Northern Europe, people that didn't believe in a God, all of a sudden, called upon his name. Why? Because we cannot help but pray. You see, prayer is so primal to who we are. It's so essential. It's so fundamental. And it's because it is all of that that the author and pastor Tyler Staten wrote these marvelous words in his book, Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools. Listen to what he says. He says, already today, before I read these words, plenty of people have prayed. Catholics have recited the poetic prayers of the historic saints. Muslims have spread out their rugs, bowed down their foreheads to the ground, and begun chanting the Quran in unison. Jews have written pleas to Yahweh on small pieces of paper, rolled them up, and wedged them into Jerusalem's wailing wall. Buddhists have meditated, emptied themselves, searching for an enlightened state of self-forgetfulness. And staunch, convinced atheist in a hospital waiting room has buried his head in his hands and muttered a few desperate words to a God he doesn't believe is there to listen. And all of that was today before I read these words. We cannot help but pray. 
Maybe I should give another quote. The famous Rabbi, Rabbi Jonathan, uh, Rabbi Heschel, Abraham Heschel said these. I love these words. He says, Prayer is our humble response to the inconceivable surprise of living. Why am I here? But there's something in our heart that pushes us to pray. Are you getting what I'm saying? There's something etched in the human soul that cries out for the divine, even when we deny him. And us Christians, we call him by different names, and we call upon his name, yes. But the same Tyler stating that, that wrote those words in the same book, not far from those words, he tells us that there's a twist, and it's true. What is this twist? Well, he writes it this way. He says, and yet, and maybe this is your condition, it has been mine many times. Most people, even the most Bible-believing Christians, find little life in prayer. Prayer is boring or obligatory or confusing or most of all, most often, all of the above. Now, I can talk about the obligatory nature of prayer that forces people to pray, particularly kids. I, I was forced to pray. I hated it. Or you can talk about the boring part of prayer where you are not seeing results and you're wondering who am I talking to. But I just want to talk a little bit about the confusing aspect of prayer, particularly for us as a, a, a group of people. Because you know what? Nothing divides like prayer. Somebody told me a few months ago, ah, Pastor Femi, I don't like the way we are praying. I don't like the way we are praying. There are, there are certain aspects of prayer. I just like a certain kind of prayer. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about a manner of prayer. You see, some of us like the manner of quiet prayers. And so we have problems with those of us that like the manner of loud, energetic prayers. Prayer divides. Some of us like the prayers that are very practical like the person that came to meet me let's say it and let's just get on with it whereas some of us like the mysterious aspect of prophetic prayers and so prayer divides how do we clear this up well I can clear it up by appealing to a group of people that we know of a nation they are called the Swiss people you know the Swiss from Switzerland they help us solve this problem. Why? Because, you see, the Swiss have given us wonderful things in the world. Think about some of the wonderful things they've given us. Chocolate. Chocolate. They don't grow cocoa, but they're able to take the cocoa and turn it into something that we all just spend ridiculous amounts of money on. They've also given us amazing craftsmanship. Think about Swiss watches. Think about Swiss pens. They always do things in a beautiful way. They've given us the greatest tennis player of all time, Roger Federer. I'll tell you another thing they've given us. They've given us wonderful savings accounts for nations. If you want to deposit your money there, even if it is not voluntary, your dictators will help you put it there. But let me tell you one more thing they've given us. They've given us, many of us are not familiar with it. They've given us this tool. It's called the Swiss Army Knife. The Swiss Army Knife. Look at it. It looks absolutely unremarkable. Just this one thing. And yet, that's exactly what prayer is like. Absolutely unremarkable. It's this one thing, Swiss Army Knife. But before you judge it and say it's so simple, look at what the Swiss Army Knife is as like as well. It has all these tools. It's, a, it's multifaceted in nature. And that's exactly what prayer is. Prayer is that one thing, but there are multifaceted parts of prayer. There are different kinds of prayer. When Jesus is telling his disciples in this passage that was just read, that our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, all the different things, he's telling us there are at least 10 types of prayer. There is the prayer of conversation, of communion, of adoration, of appreciation, intercession, benediction, petition, confession, contemplation, and confrontation. And if you are not engaging in all of those forms, let me tell you, you are less formed than where God wants you to be. And here's the gift of God for you when he puts you in a community. You see, because of our different personalities and our different uh, uh, experiences and our different longings, we channel our 
those things through a certain kind of prayer. But don't stay in that kind of prayer. So when God brings you into community, there are people that have different personalities, different experiences, and different longings than you. And God challenges us to say, that person has this form of prayer, you have this form of prayer, learn from him, learn from her, and all of a sudden we see the uniting aspect of prayer. It's true that prayer can divide, but prayer also unites. And my prayer, <laughs> pun intended, in this series is that God will unite us through prayer. Can I get an amen? amen? I pray that God will first unite us with himself. And as he unites us with himself, he will unite us with one another. Because, listen, prayer is not per se about prayer. Prayer is about talking to our Father. Our Father. If he's our Father, then we are united in speaking with him. That's why the first form of prayer that we want to look at today is the one where we express what we see when we come into his presence, when we look at his nature. This our father who is infinite in all his ways. This our father who cannot be contained. When we see him, we are moved to say words to him. When we see him, we are moved to say Almighty, infinite Father, faithfully loving your own, here in our weakness you find us, falling before your throne. One more time, Almighty Infinite Father. Almighty Infinite Father. Faithfully, faithfully loving your own. In our weakness, He finds us, but He meets us. He's the one that comes to the lowly, to the lowly. we see him for who he is. Our hearts can do nothing else than to praise him. He is the one we praise. You are the one that we praise. Oh, we start to adore the maker of heaven and earth. Because he also gives to us. The one that we praise. You are Can you praise the Lord this morning? Can you lift your heart to Him? Yes, we've already started the message. We are seeing that our Father is given and is infinite. He gives us grace. He gives us grace. We adore you. We praise you. Most high. Hallelujah. Thank you. of God that we've come to meet today. He knows that we are hungering for something. <laughs> Hallelujah. He knows we are thirsty for something. And he gives us the best gift of all. He gives us the gift of himself. You are the one we adore. You are the one we adore. Thank you, Lord. So let's talk a little bit about adoration because I don't want us to talk too much. I want to prime us for us to pray. A prayer series should not be just about talking about prayer. It's about people praying. And the good thing is that the Lord is here. We've already started to encounter him. So what is adoration? Very quickly first. You see, many times people confuse adoration with another kind of prayer. The prayer of appreciation or thanksgiving. Let me tell you the difference between the two. Thanksgiving is a, the response in praise and prayer for the good actions of God. But adoration is a response in praise and prayer for the nature of God. Thanksgiving is a response to God for what he has done. But adoration is a response in prayer for who he is. 
But there's something else I want you to see there. You see, because, or before that, let me even say this. When we see God, the truth is, in words, it is encapsulated in his name. That's why it says, hallowed be your name. There is something, there are things that we see about God that we are trying to express something about what we see, the right response. And then Jesus said, say, hallowed be your name. It's exactly what the psalmist says in Psalm, Psalm, uh, Psalm 96, verse 8. He says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering to him. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. There is something about his name. There is something about the glory of his name that we, in turn, are meant to give him. But there's a twist to it, and it comes with the definition that the Anchor Book of Prayer gives to adoration. I wanted to say it says, Adoration is the lifting up of the heart and the mind to God, asking nothing. <laughs> Did you get that? Asking nothing, but enjoying God's presence. Huh. You see, the gift of adoration is about what we are seeing in God, not what we are getting from Him. Now, this may sound true in Christianese, but if you are honest, some of us will say, but it doesn't really feel good. I don't, it doesn't really do anything to me. Maybe I can clarify in this way. Some of us like to travel. And if we are honest, you know what we do when we travel. We, go, we travel just so that we can go to the high street and go and shop. That's really why. Nigerians travel, right? It's true, it's true. Well, we, we don't even go to high street. We actually go to outlet malls. I see you. Those of you that go for discount and all of those things, right? And we travel so that we can wear the clothes so that everybody will know that all more you just landed. Forget the ones that even come with an accent. May God help you and deliver you. But let me tell you, the highest form of traveling, I think, is when we go to just see things. Imagine if you had the privilege of going to see one, the only surviving um, uh, wonder, of, uh, the only surviving um, um, ancient wonder of the world. There were seven of them, but there's only one that still exists, the pyramids of Egypt. When you go to the pyramids of Egypt, what are you going to get when you land there? If you have privilege to see the greatest of all, the biggest of all, the, the great pyramid of Giza, when you go there, do you know what? They don't give you anything. You don't become richer. You don't become more elevated. And yet, when you see it, something transforms in you. Because your eyes have beheld something that many people would love to see, and they cannot see. There is something about his greatness that you say, this was the gift. Something changes in you. You say, I have become privileged. You live there and you say, I am one of those who has set my eyes on the great pyramid of Giza. The gift is in seeing it itself. Now, how about the greater than the pyramid of Giza? How about the greater than the Burj Al Arab? How about the greater than the Great Canyon? There is one who is greater than all things. This is what adoration is. Adoration is the gift that we get from seeing God in his greatness and his awesomeness alone. yet, as I say all of that, for some of us, that's still abstract. Say, I get that, but I need to get some things from God. It still feels too abstract. And let me tell you something. If it's abstract, it has less to do with God than it has to do with us. We have a problem. The problem is that we can't adore what we are not captivated by. That has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with us. We have a problem. You know what our problem is? Adulthood. Don't your neighbor and say, adulthood now scam. It's a scam. And let me prove it to you. How does the Lord's prayer start? What are the first two words? I cannot hear you well enough. If it is our Father, and I'll say a little bit more about that in the other messages in this series, but suffice to say this, if it is our Father, and we say it, 
then we are who? His children, and that's the problem. We approach God not as children. We've forgotten that we are children. We approach God as adults that have learned everything that needs to be learned. We approach God as people who have figured it all out. We approach him as adults, not as children. Somebody will say, I've read my Bible. What's wrong with approaching him as an adult? In fact, how can you say I should be childish? Is it not Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 that said, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. But now I am a man or a woman. <laughs> I put away childish ways. Why are you telling me to be childish? Thank you for quoting that verse. But have you also not read Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7 who said to the Thessalonian Christians, he said, I was like a child among you. Well, if Paul is confused, the one that he followed, Jesus, when he says, follow me as I follow Christ, he wasn't confused. In Matthew 18 verse 3, he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is going on? Is there some confusion? No. Let me clear out what seems like a contradiction. God is not asking us to be childish. He's asking us to be childlike when we come in prayer. What's the difference? Being childish always denotes some form of immaturity. It is for us. It's us doing things that we ought to have outgrown. It always comes with a negative sense. But being childlike is about demonstrating the innocent sense of wonder and awe. Have you not seen children growing? They don't really care about us. They care about discovering the world like our beautiful baby that has just been entertaining us here. Don't worry. Just leave her. You see, at, that, at some point, that baby, she... All she did was just to cry, cry because she was hungry. But at some point, something happened to her. She noticed that her hands moved when she tried to move it. And that's the first thing children are. And she's just laughing. What? I can't do this. It's moving. A sense of awe and wonder of the new discovery. And at some point, she is thrilled because she can go on the floor. No one's supporting her crawling. But she notices that people are able to walk. And so she stands one day. She tries to take one step. She takes one step. The second step, she falls down. And when she falls down, she loves it. Why? She has discovered how to move her legs. And when babies, how about when they discover the thrill that if someone throws them up and catches them, they're like, do it again. You throw them up and catch them. Do it again. And you're wondering, what is wrong with this child? The problem is with you. Because they are discovering something that they never experienced before. Here is the beautiful thing about children. They approach the world in a humble manner. They approach the world as one that is going to discover. They have this penchant for, a, for, for perpetual discovery of the world. They know that they don't know everything and they are trying to discover something. If children can do that about the world, about the world how can we not do that about the one who created the world? When you come to God, you cannot come as an adult. You come to him as one who is discovering more. You see, part of the problem of adulthood is that we have studied the Bible and we studied it too much and all of a sudden we become pumped and we believe that we know exactly what God wants us to do because I have studied these eight doctrines. And so we put God in a box. We even say, I adore him, I adore him. But the truth is that if we focus on what to adore, whether it is in song or is in prayer, we see that the emphasis is more on the words than on the one that the words is speaking about. You are the rose of Sharon, you are the lily of the valley, the bright and the morning star. Who do, yeah, what does that mean to you? See, the problem with adulthood in this sense is that we domesticate God and a domesticated God is not worth adoring. God open our eyes again to be like children. So you say you figured God out, you've seen God. What did you see? Because your reaction to seeing Him will tell me what you've seen and whether you've truly seen Him. Many of us say we figured God out. We don't say it with our lips, but our prayer or our lack of prayer screams it at the rooftops. But God is going to deliver us today because there were those who truly saw him. 
And if we can learn from their reaction to him, you will see that they show us that we must become childlike to see him properly. Do you want to learn about those people? Okay. Before I do that, I do want to say something. One of the things we must know is this. We are created as glory-seeking beings. Say glory-seeking beings. That is, we are created to wonder, to search out for wonder. We are actually created to adore, to adore God. It's fundamental to what it means to be a human being. But there is a problem. When we don't adore God, what happens? In Romans chapter 1, Paul shows us, he talks about the wrath of God that will be visited at the end of time. And some people will say, I don't like hearing about the wrath of God, about hell. But Paul justifies and explains why that wrath is just. He says, because this, the most beautiful of all beings has been revealed. You may not have seen him with his eyes, but he has made, with her eyes, but he has made his glory actually plain by the things that he has created. He says he has made his glory plain by all the visible things that are here. We may not see the invisible God, but we can see something about his glory. We cannot attribute it to anybody else. And here's the problem in verse 21. He says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as that if we didn't glorify him, we may have asked him to continue to provide for us. We may have asked him for instruction and principles on how to live. But that is just an aspect of God. There is a way that you see God that makes you glorify him as God. But when we don't do this, because we are indeed glory-seeking beings, you know what we do? we start to look around the things he has created and some of them differ in glory to the others. And so we start to glorify things he has made instead of the one who has been glorified. And that has a devastating effect. Maybe I can explain this way. I love to do rankings. Who is the best at this? Who is the best at that? I just told you, the greatest tennis player ever. There's nothing that Novak Djokovic is going to do to ascend to that place. Nothing. He can keep winning. He's not. And if you ask me who are the top three, who, are, who is the top basketballer that has ever lived? If you ask me, you, you know I know the right answer because the anointing is here now. The top basketballer of all time, there's no, one top, there's no top. There's a 1A, 1B, 1C. There are three top people. You, you want the names? Who? LeBron? Jordan? No, Kobe. What? Kobe would be, he would be lucky if he makes it top 10. LeBron? Uh, sorry, because he died. That's why. That's all. Nothing. That's what happened. LeBron, MJ, Kareem, Abdul, Jabbar. And you don't know him because, you see, that's the problem. Too young. Too young. I like rankings. How about who is the greatest rapper of all time? First of all, if you give me any name of somebody that came after 2000, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. All them, Drake, 2 chains. I don't even know. He only has 2 chains. Nah, nah, nah. The greatest rapper of all time. Kendrick, what? I beg, I beg, I beg. Because your hair is like Kendrick. That's why. I think it's debatable. I think it's debatable. Top five. I think you can have a top five and don't say Tupac. He's a poet. He's not a rapper. Right? No, he is. He is. He's not an MC. But here's the thing. I think even if we can dispute our to the top five, we can't dispute the person with the most significant, impressive resume of all rappers. There's only one. His name is Sean Carter, otherwise known as J.E.Z. The truth is, when you think about the span of time, when you think about the length of his career, 11 wonderful albums. And when I say wonderful albums, I don't mean the language that is used there. I'm not talking about the themes that are also expressed there, please. I'm talking about the, 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 the wordsmithing there, okay? And you know, Jay-Z hasn't just influenced a lot of people in terms of music. He had influenced the culture. He had influenced hip-hop as a global brand. And even though he's sort of retired now, he doesn't sing again, people have thought and said, we can't have somebody that is like this 
and not show the next generation or not celebrate him. So recently, even currently ongoing now, in his hometown of Brooklyn, in the public library, they are doing an exhibition. It's called the Book of Hove. And if you understand, you know his nickname is J-Hove. We won't put the R at the end. When you all enter there, what do you see? You see, no, go back, go back, go back, sorry, not enter. When you get to the beginning, you see that they have put the words of JD on the public library. Because the exhibit is called the Book of Hove. But what you see on the outside does not compare to what you see on the inside. When you enter inside, you see the glory of Jay-Z. You see murals. You see things that have meant something to him. You see everything. One man. And even when he entered himself, he said he was in awe. The truth is that if I was in Brooklyn, I would go and see it. There's nothing wrong in seeing, in some sense, the glory of men. Here is the problem, though. When we focus so much on the glory of men, we get distracted. We get distracted in a way that we become so fascinated by glorifying created things that we inevitably forget how to glorify the creator God. Some of you have just been distracted by the music team, so I'll say it again. That illustrates my point. You see, some of us, here's the thing, sometimes when we think about Glorious things and glorious beings of what, what creation has done. It could be the admiration of an extraordinary business or sports personality. Or for others, it's the lauding of the founder of an incredibly built organization. For some others, it's visiting a particular developed country or living in them. And yet, for some of us, it is being glued to mind-blowing technological devices. The problem is not that we glory in them. The problem is that when we get so used to glorifying created things, we forget how to glorify the creator of all things as God. But there are some people who saw him and glorified him as God. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 had an encounter that changed his life forever. As far as we know, he was not like any wicked Israelite. He was a good man. But he was about to receive a commission. But before that commission happened, do you know what happened? It starts like this. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Why is that important? The longest service, serving Nigerian head of state was Yakubu Goron. And if you are growing up in Yakubu Goron's time, you almost think that he was going to rule forever. And he just did nine years. Because the longer somebody stays in power, the more the whole nation or the kingdom is shaped by them. Do you know how many years Uzziah reigned? 52. If you were 8 years old when, Isaiah, when Uzziah started to reign, you will be 60 when he died. And so there's a sense in which the inevitability has been taken away from us. The stability from the throne has been taken away from us. Now that Uzziah has vacated the throne, what shall be done about this kingdom? God lifted up Isaiah's eyes and said that even though the throne in Judah has been vacated, there is a throne in heaven that has never been vacated. His eyes were lifted up to see the glory of God. And what did he see? One of the things he saw was those who are around God. There were magnificent angels. If an angel comes into this place now, all of us will run. Forget that we say that angels are ministering spirits for the heirs of salvation. We will run away. But do you know that angels have levels? Most of us think of angels as human beings with two wings. They are angels that have six wings. They are the ones that come closest to the throne of God. There are other ranks. They stay far away from God. But the most the highest form of angels are called seraph and cherubims. Some people, because of their glory, have even formed religions out of them. I don't blame them. Because if you see the descriptions of these things, you'll be like, what is this? Look at the glory of this being. It said that if the six wings, two of them were used to cover their legs. Two of them were used to fly. But no matter how glorious these beings are, as people can mag magnify them by looking on them, when these beings look at the throne, they are unable to look at it. They cover their eyes with the remaining two wings. And all they can do is to say, even though we have all glory, there is one whose glory outstrips us. All we can say is holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. 
The whole earth is full of your glory. I love that if you compare with Jay-Z. Jay-Z's glory filled the library, but the glory of God fills the entire earth. So, Isaiah saw him, but John the apostle also saw him. He saw the same thing. And we give a little bit more detail. It says that the throne was in heaven was open. Why? Because there was a door that was open. And he said in verse 2 of Revelation 4, immediately I was in the spirit. What did he see? Verse 6, he also saw these seraphs. And in this description, they have eyes all over them. And there are also some other beings around the throne of God. But when these seraphs see him, they say the same thing again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They describe him as one that is beyond time. He one who was, the one who is, the one shall ever be. That is why he just called the I am that I am. Where is he? Is he going to be? No, he is. Where is he going to be in the future? No, he is. The future and the and the beginning are like the same before the one who created time. And then there are all these other 24 elders. We are not quite sure what they are, but we see that they have some level of authority because they have crowns. And they have achieved some level of authority in the heavens. But when they are before God, nothing that they have achieved ever matters. They stand before Adonai and they cast their crowns before him. Because the crown, the gift of the crown does not compare to being in his presence. They see him. I ask you again, what is it that you have seen? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lamb upon the throne, who reigns forever. The train of the throne. The train of His throne fills the temple. The whole temple is filled of His glory. Worship him. I pray that your eyes, even right now, shall see what Isaiah saw. Oh, lift up your heart, all ye people. Join with the heavenly host. eventual what these people saw when they saw God this morning maybe this will help us lift our hearts in worship they saw something about God let me tell you what they saw they saw that God is beautiful beyond our wildest imagination they saw that he is pure and full of unapproachable light he is full of love in a way that defines the very word love he also gives good its meaning because before good there was and there is God and without God there is no good he is mighty in all his ways he sustains all things he created by his power and his word he only does wonders because he is full of wonders in all that he is he is omniscient he is omnipotent he is omnipresent what are those? there are words given to describe things about him that those who utter them cannot comprehend Oh, his forgiveness is beyond finding out. His compassions have never failed and they will never fail. Oh, worshiping him provides him with nothing. With nothing he needs for he has no needs. No, not one. Neither. Zilch. Zero. But worshiping him gives us the meaning and satisfaction that our hearts eternally long for. In the name of Jesus, your eyes shall see your king this morning. 
Oh, I say that all scales that have come upon your eyes that stops you from adoring the maker of heaven and the earth, the one that they give all splendor and all glory, the one that we can say, thine is the kingdom, thine is the power forever and ever. Amen. Your eyes have seen him. Your eyes have seen him. Speak to him. Tell him. Let words flow from your hearts like a river. The words flow that go out of your hearts like a well. we're going to have then we're just going to practice this adoration we started lord we thank you for the anointing that has been here with us from the very beginning we thank you god for the eyes oh god that are beginning to see how can you do this adoration four steps the first thing is that you believe approaching faith he's called our father paul said uh, john said i saw a, a, a door in heaven open believers, brothers and sisters and even those who are inquiring of the Lord I come to tell you that through the blood of Jesus, the heavenlies are opened unto you, you, are, you don't have to enter just the house of God you can enter the very room of God because he's your father, don't allow anything to stop you from coming don't allow the devil's lies to stop you from coming, God is waiting for us to adore him, so you're approaching faith, and then the second thing slow down we're too in a hurry slow down Dallas Willard said that the most important thing we can do for a healthy spirituality is to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives slow down slow down sometimes means setting a time and a place don't go to God if you want to adore him and be too tired Prepare for it. Get time to his presence. And I want to say this for those of us who come to this church for a collective exploration of God to adore him. First come for the prayers that start and that we begin our service with. Start with those prayers so that through those prayers we enter into adoration. Again, sometimes we just hurry to get what we want. And maybe for some of us, what we want is just the message. Don't come late. Because when you come late, it affects how you are able to experience the adoration of God. Slow down. Set a time and place. And then be still. Be still. Psalm 46, it says... Verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. It's another way of eliminating hurry. Everything in the, within us wants to move fast. The reason why sometimes God speaks in mysteries is so that he can engage us for longer. The most beautiful things in life do not come with instant gratification. They come with pondering. The hymn writer says, when I survey the wondrous cross, we survey the Lord most high we're able to see and so when we are still it helps us to be able to focus a bit this is why we can even breathe practice breathing deep breath in and deep breath out when we exhale out you can use some words to help you you can say something like this hallowed be your name hallowed be your name or you may use Another one I say, Holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy is the Lord. For some of us, this is the time when, as the focus comes, when we have the gift of tongues, you can just start. 
Because when you have the gift of tongues, what you are doing is that you are praising God in a language that you don't understand, but your spirit understands and it's now connecting you with God. And that brings me to the third part, focus and meditate. We are already getting there when we are still. You focus and meditate. Even if you get distracted, call yourself back. Call yourself back because God is not running away. But meditate. Meditate. John said, I was in the spirit. How can you meditate? We've already started using one of it. It's through specific music. You say, why? Isn't that manipulating? No, God created music. God said the temple should be filled with music. Why? Because the temple above his heavenly place, in his, his heavenly abode is also filled with music. Music has a way of raising our affections. It has a way of directing affections. It also acts as a spiritual ladder into the presence of God. That's why our music team have already made certain tracks for us that we can use to meditate in our spare time and we'll release it soon. But we use music to focus our affections on God. It enables us to have our eyes open. ascending in the spirit. You can stand, you can kneel, you can lie down. Don't allow this moment to pass you by. God is opening eyes right now. Oh, join us, join us. Because sometimes when we want to speak to the God who is awesome, the God who reigns in love and in power and wisdom, we find we don't have words to say. But what he has done is God gives us the words that we are meant to use as an offering back to him. He finds that we are not, sometimes we don't have the ability to say what we want to say. So there are words in scripture, there are inspired words that are there that you can use so sometimes when I want to pray and I set time out and I want to adore God, when I want to see visions of God, I look at Isaiah 6, I look at Ezekiel 1 and 2, I look at Revelation 4 and 5. And then all of a sudden I'm brought into the heavenly throne. I start to visualize myself there because I have focused. And now the music is playing. So I have these scriptures that can take me as a portal into the presence of God. 
But also if I just need words, I can go to Psalm 95 where it says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is the great God. You can go to Psalm 96, verse 4 to 6. You can go to 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10 to 3. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and power, the glory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven are thine. For thine is the kingdom, O Lord, our God. Be exalted above all. One of my favorites is in Psalm 97. The first six verses of Psalm 97 proclaim the greatness of our God. And I'm going to ask you to rise to your feet as I recite it. Because now we're going to take this thing higher. Oh, there are still words in our mouth that need to come. There are still words in our hearts that need to come. There is a God that reigns in power, in wisdom and love. And so here's what Psalm 97 verse 6 tells us. It says, the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on the left and on the right. On every side, his lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. And all people shall see his glory. We want to see your glory to Lord. We want to experience your glory. Our God. God is an awesome. Oh, tell him. From heaven above. adoration as the song keeps playing I want you to now speak sing a new song to the Lord just speak let yourself go free speak in tongues if you can or speak with words that are coming from your heart you may think you have ten words when you get to the ninth word he will give you ten more declare his goodness declare his glory declare his love declare his power he is worth it He's transforming you. He's changing you. Be free to show him how much you love him. Our God, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above The power and love God is an awesome God. Only the voices. These words go up to him like incense. Sing to him in the way he only deserves. Only him. Don't just sing with your lips, sing from your heart. Hallelujah. Sing like you are the seraphs before his throne. Love God is Take it higher. a prayer I want to pray for some people because I have a word for you. Maybe you've experienced this sight now but you know that your life has not been like that. It feels like there are skills on you. It feels like you are blind. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Maybe you used to see before but you stopped seeing the glory of God. Now, your relationship with God is just about words. It's about people. It's just about doctrines or what have you. It's about criticizing other people that you think are not doing what God wants them to do. Revelation chapter 3, I'm not saying this to condemn us, I'm then saying this to explain the condition. In Revelation chapter 3, God speaks to the church in Laodicea. He says that they have come to a place where they are full of pride, that they don't know that they need something. They think they lack nothing. 
He said, but their condition is that you are wretched, pitiful, poor. And this is the one I'm going for, blind. Now, whether it is that you can't see very well or you want to have a greater experience with God, come forward. Don't think about who's on your right. Don't think about who's on your left. This is an encounter with God now. He's anointing his ear. I can't feel it. And he's here to open eyes. If you want to see God more clearly, if you want to experience him in your time of fellowship, come forward. I have two words to speak over you. God in the anointing and the power of his word is going to make you see him in his wisdom, in his greatness, in his power, in his love. Paul says that there is a knowledge that surpasses all kinds of knowledge. It's the knowledge that goes beyond our hearing of him. Is the knowledge that comes to our seeing of him. Oh Lord, send your people, oh God, give them a willingness in their heart and visit us today. Hallelujah. Come forward a little bit more so that some people can come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Your people are gathered here, God, because they've come to desire nothing else but you. They've not come to ask for money. They've not asked, come to ask for connections. They've not come to ask, oh God, for all these other things which are good, but they fail in comparison to the gift of you. Who are we? What kind of people can we be, oh God, if your presence does not go with us? We want to see you, oh God, in your glory. And I have two verses of scripture for you guys that I'm going to pray over you. And then the third one is the real key. But the first two are promises to you. The first one is this. For people who have been hearing God, hearing God, you hear God in a measure. They come to church, you hear certain things. But you see, there is hearing and there is seeing. After Job had encountered God, right? Before Job had encountered God, people had said he was a righteous man. He, did, he lived by principles. He followed the law of God to the best of his ability. They said there was none right, more righteous than Job. But after Job then encountered God, he says this in Job chapter 42 verse 5. And this word is for you. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that the blessing that you have with your ears shall not be compared to the blessing that you have with your eyes. I pray that in the name of Jesus, as he's opening your ears more, I pray that the eyes that you have will be the eyes of the Spirit and shall see God again. One more. You see, it's one thing to see God. As I said, there's a level of seeing God in truth. It is good. To see God in truth, it gives us something. There's even a level to see God's goodness in how he provides for us. That is wonderful. The truth and the good are good. But there is another level, the highest level of sight of anything. Even an engineering building, we don't look at it for the engineering prowess. We look at it for its aesthetics. There is a way we see God in his beauty. And so the next word I'm speaking over you is Isaiah chapter 33 verse 17. Hear the word of the God. He says, your eyes will see the king in his beauty. Now in the name of Jesus, I want to say that for all those who have seen God in principle, that all those who have seen God in many ways, I pray that by the Spirit you will be lifted up to another level to see him in his beauty in the name of Jesus. Put your hand on your eyes and say, my eyes shall see the king in his beauty. Lord, let your spirit fall on them. Let them not just see you as boring. Let them not just see you as one who gives instructions. Let them not just see you as one who provides and guides. Let them see the beauty of the Lord. Let them see the beauty of the Lord. So that we can cry, holy, holy is he in the name of Jesus. And, and how do we know that this will happen? We know it will happen. Because there was a man who was following God in the zeal that he thought he had. But with the zeal that he had and the learning that he had acquired, spiritually, he had scales on his eyes. And so when he encountered the Lord Jesus, he was made blind. The physical blindness was a metaphor for his spiritual state. But God didn't leave him in that place. For some of us, it's because God wants to use you in a special way. He's allowed that blindness to happen. Because there is an Ananias. 
that God is speaking to and said, I am going to use this one for my glory. I pray, I thank God that the spirit that came upon Ananias is here today. For there was a man called Saul. And when Saul met with Ananias, this is what he says in Acts chapter 9 verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered the place in his hands on Saul. May the hands of the Lord rest upon you today. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me to you. The Lord has sent me to you. And so in the name of Jesus, he says, after he sent me to you, he said, he sent me to you so that you may see again. For some of you, you have seen before, but you will see again. I said you have seen before, but now the Lord is going to do a quick work. Because he says immediately, immediately that he did something to him. Scales fell down on his eyes. You will see again, I say. Go back to verse 19, uh, 17. He says, he has sent me to you that you may see again. And this is the key. That you may be filled with the Spirit. You say, but I had the Spirit before. No. Part of what the Christian life is, is that sometimes we drain ourselves of the Spirit. But we can be filled with the Spirit again. And when we are filled with the Spirit, verse 18, it says immediately. Immediately. Somebody say immediately. I pray that God will do a quick work today. Some will say that you need a process, but God can go against the process. And so, Lord, I pray that you will shorten the process in their lives in the name of Jesus. Let the scales fall off by the Spirit of God. I say, put your eyes on your eyes again. Let the scales fall off now in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray that as you encounter Saul, that you will use these ones in one, in one way or the other. But first, oh God, open their eyes. Let the scales fall off. Fill them, oh God, with your spirit, that they may see the wonder of God once again. The Lord has anointed you with eyesal. That is what happened in Revelation. He said, I counsel you, buy of me eyesal so that you can see. Greatest I serve is the spirit of the living God. And I pray that the spirit of the living God will be awakened and fresh in you again. Oh, your prayers shall be filled with adoration. I say your prayers shall not just be God give me this, God give me that. But you will enter into a place. You will see the king in his beauty. Mark my words. Because the Lord is good to lift us up. Father, we thank you for your people. Father, I thank you that as they go back to their seats, they are not going back in the way they came. I thank you that you are a God that honors their faith. I thank you you are a God that honors their genuineness. Father, let them depart, O oh God, in peace, knowing that they have eyes that now see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may go back to your seats. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City